Welcome to this week's share. I'm going to focus on Hanukkah, and uh, I'm going to begin by reading uh, a piece from the Chabad website. Uh, and we're going to be talking about quite a controversial topic. It's not really controversial because, in a sense, it's not that important and it's not relevant to us, but it's become a controversial topic, and that's, of course, uh, the shape of the menorah. Uh, and you can see I've got a menorah over here, and uh, I've, I've opted for the very traditional uh, semicircular shape, the bow shape of the menorah. But uh, those of you who are familiar with the Chabad menorah will know that the um, Chabad Hasidim have menorahs all around the world, and they use a menorah where the arms are straight, diagonal from the central uh, section, um, from the, as it were, candlestick in the middle. They point out diagonally, and it looks like uh, a series of triangles, and, and the top part of each branch is level with the top of the uh, central part of the menorah. So the question is, what shape should a menorah be? It's actually not important for Hanukkah. It's of no relevance to Hanukkah, as long as you light a light and they're in line with each other and, and they're not uh, at different levels, uh, then it's totally fine. You can, you can light them. And as, as you see, there are menorahs which are flat um, with backs, etc. That's totally fine. But if you want to have a menorah that looks like the one in the Beis Hamikdash, what shape should the menorah be? And we don't have... Uh, the menorah from the Beis Hamikdash. I know that we yearn to believe that the Vatican, somewhere deep in its recesses, has the original menorah of uh, of the Beis Hamikdash. I highly doubt that that's the case. In fact, I just I was reading an article earlier today in preparation for this year, and it seems that uh, that when the Vandals took over Rome, they took the original menorah and they took it to Carthage, which is in Tunisia, so maybe we should be, we're looking in the wrong place, we're looking in the Vatican, we should be looking in somewhere near Tunis, uh, in the ancient ruins of Carthage, and that's perhaps where we will uh, discover the menorah. But uh, be that as it may, what is the shape of the original menorah of the Beis Hamikdash, of the original Mishkan, uh, the Beis Hamikdash, the first Beis Hamikdash of Shlom HaMelech, and the second Beis Hamikdash, um, which went through various phases, the final phase being the phase of the Hashmanoim and eventually King Herod, and ultimately uh, um, when the Romans destroyed it. And as we're going to see, they took the menorah to Rome. So I have here an image, uh, and uh, if you can see it, I hope you can see it, and perhaps when Carly does the sheer um, video, when she uh, puts this out, she's going to enable us to see this image more clearly. This is an image of what's known as the Arch of Titus. The Arch of Titus, if anyone has been to Rome, I've been to Rome, the Arch of Titus depicts the victorious uh, Romans. Uh, um, they brought all the different artifacts of the temple and they wanted to show them off. And in this victory parade, Titus was the victorious military man who took over Jerusalem, who rampaged um, through the Holy City, went into the Mokim HaMikdash, into, onto Temple Mount, took the items from the base of Mikdash, and they paraded them through the streets of ancient Rome and depicted it on a, vi a victory arch, the Arch of Titus, which still exists at the center of Rome. You can go and see it. And this is a picture of the Arch of Titus. Now, what's, what's startling is that in the middle of that picture is the menorah. A menorah, I'm going to say at this stage. A menorah. You can see this is an image of the menorah. 
um, which is divided into two. On one side, over here, you see the menorah uh, um, as it appears on the Arch of Titus. And you also can see a diagram of how the menorah is depicted. Obviously, it's, um, it's been worn away over the years. There's, uh, it's receded. Some parts of it are not quite as clear. But it's, it's very clearly based on the description, as we're going to read in a few moments, the description of the original menorah uh, that we find in uh, Sefer Shemois. Uh, I'm going to show you a, a slightly clearer picture of the menorah on the Arch of Titus, because what's extraordinary about it is that, yes, the top half part of the menorah appears with its, uh, with its flowers and with its, uh, with its balls um, to be a depiction of the menorah as it is described in the Torah, but the bottom part doesn't seem at all to be a likely um, base for the menorah as it's described in the Torah, because it has on it um, inscriptions or, or uh, etchings, and they seem to be of strange animals, dragons, um, serpents, or whatever it is. You can see a, bit, uh, a, a little bit more closely, you can see that. Uh, and that seems to be very puzzling indeed. Why would the menorah and the Beis Hamikdash have looked this way? And that's, of course, the source of the controversy, because if this is indeed a depiction of the menorah in the Beis Hamikdash, why would it have had the base um, as it's uh, shown on the Arch of Titus. So th that is by way of introduction to the piece from the Chabad website that I'm going to read to you now. I told you, controversial. Uh, and I, I must put a disclaimer in here. This is uh, None of this is to be taken seriously in the sense that I have no axe to grind vis-a-vis -vis Chabad. Of course, uh, I have no axe to grind uh, with regard to the late Lubavitcher Rebbe, um, in whom, uh, whom I hold in the highest possible esteem, a massive Talmud Chochem and a mashpia on the world. Long after his passing, we continue to benefit from his greatness. But in the spirit of Rishche Doraisa, um, of just generally putting out a Torah-related topic and talking about it and, uh, and debating it, I think that there, no one who's going to listen to this, even if they are uh, very uh, um, ardent followers of Chabad, are going to be offended. But let me read this piece in the meantime from the Chabad website. The menorah is frequently employed as a Jewish symbol. Nevertheless, the authenticity of the design with which the menorah is usually depicted is a matter of question. For there are several inconsistencies between the designs generally employed and the description of this article in the traditional sources. The branches of the menorah are one such example. Generally, these branches are depicted as a semi-circular or oblong in shape. Nevertheless, Rashi in his commentary to the Torah explicitly writes that the branches extended upward in a diagonal. Indeed, the very word which the Torah uses to describe the branches implies a straight line. So here we have it. Coming straight out with it, the Chabad website wants to tell you that the only correct depiction of a menorah and the way the menorah must have been constructed was a diagonal branch that came out of a central branch. What is the Rambam's view, asks this article in the website. On the website, part of the confusion concerning the shape of the branches of the menorah stems from the fact that the Rambam makes no definite statement regarding this issue, neither in his commentary on the Mishnah nor in his Mishnah Torah. For that reason, 
Several commentaries were led to the conclusion that he also agrees that the branches were semi-circular. Nothing, however, could be further from the truth. The Rambam does not describe the shape of the branches of the menorah because it is unnecessary. In both his commentary on the Mishnah and his Mishnah Torah, he adds drawings in which he depicts the menorah. And in both instances, he shows the branches as extending diagonally in straight lines. Unfortunately, at the time the Rambam wrote these works, printing presses had not been invented. It was not until several centuries after his passing that his texts were printed, and in these printings, his original drawings were omitted. Equally, clear evidence of the Rambam's perspective can be gleaned from the commentary to the Torah written by his son, Rabbeinu Avram. When describing the manner in which the menorah was fashioned, Rabbeinu Avram writes, the six branches extended upward from the center shaft of the menorah in a straight line, as depicted by my father, and not in a semicircle, as de depicted by others. I'm going to skip a few uh, paragraphs here before I show you the actual image from the original Rambam. Um, but what I want to say is that uh, the Chabad opinion is very, very clear. Um, they are totally an, uh, adamant, uh, based, as you will see, on a statement by the Rebbe himself that the branches of the menorah were straight and not semicircular as we see in our menorahs or many menorahs that are used and of course in the menorah that's depicted on the Arch of Titus. Um, the menorah is often employed as a Jewish symbol. So I'm reading again. This is indeed appropriate for our sages teach that the menorah is testimony to all the inhabitants of the world that the divine presence rests within Israel. How unfitting is it that instead of drawing that symbol According to its conception by Torah sages, the conception from the Arch of Titus, which proudly states Judea is vanquished, is used instead. So this becomes a polemical point. Not only is it true, according to this article, that the menorah was, um, was, had straight diagonal branches, but the fact that anyone depicts it differently is in fact an affront to Jewish identity because we are basing the fact that a menorah had semicircular uh, branches on an arch of Titus, which was an anti-Semitic symbol at the heart of Rome, depicting Roman victory against the Jewish people who are God's chosen people. How could we use the symbol of our enemy as the origin of the way we depict the menorah? So that's the article. And I'm going to put it on the website. You can read it directly. You could read it on Chabad.org. But I'm going to put a PDF of the article on my website uh, for this year. So first, let's look at a picture. Let me find a picture here of the original menorah as it's depicted um, in the Rambam. Here we have it. This is um, from a Savyad of the Rambam. You can see here that he wants to show exactly how the menorah was constructed. And he draws it indeed with diagonal lines. And um, so it would appear that the Rambam's opinion is, and the Rambam is a definitive Rishon, a medieval commentary on the Talmud and particularly on Halacha. And he comments on things that many other Rishonim don't comment on. And he seems to be unequivocally via this image stating his opinion that the menorah was not 
something which had semicircular branches but straight diagonal branches that came out of a central branch. So here we have it. This is the original uh, diagram and that's the one on which the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the late Lubavitcher Rebbe, Zechrony Levrocha, based his view that the menorah in the base of Mikdosh had straight branches. And, and if you look at all the many Chabad menorahs in public areas around the world, wherever you are, I'm sure there's one not very far away, you will see that they are straight branches. That is a, a deliberate um, a, a deliberate act. It's not something that's random. It's not because it's simpler to fabricate a menorah to look, um, to, to, to create a menorah with straight branches. It's deliberate. It's appropriate as far as a Chabad Chosid is concerned, somebody who wants to show respect to his Rebbe, to create a menorah that has straight branches. To light a menorah with circular, semicircular branches would be an affront to his memory and to his dignity and to his honor. Let's look first, and if you look, I have a, a source sheet you can look on my website, or if you're watching this on YouTube, there will be a link to the, to the source sheet on YouTube and similarly on SoundCloud, so you can go through all the sources. I'm extremely grateful to Rabbi Josh Flug of Boca Raton in Florida for having put together uh, a bunch of sources. It's been enormously helpful in creating this shir, and, uh, and so uh, I'd like to offer my uh, gratitude to him and, of course, my deepest esteem. The first source is in Shmois, and we're very familiar with it. Shmois chapter 25, and the, we know that the menorah was made out of one piece. It was pure gold. Um, it was hammered work. It's base and stem. Um, so we know that the menorah was created in such a way that it had a base, it had a stem, and there were goblets, like cup-looking um, uh, ornaments on the branches. They had knobs, uh, which were round. It had flowers, prochim, prochecha, um, and it should all be in one piece. There were six branches coming out of the sides, says the posuk. Three branches coming out of one side of the central branch. And three coming out of the other side. And now it describes, it goes into great detail describing uh, the appearance of the menorah. You can look this up in chapter 25. I know you're all familiar with this text. Uh, this is the origin of the description of the menorah as we know it. And the menorah was created and uh, in a miraculous way. On other occasions I've described the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know how to make the menorah and it was, it was shown to him in a vision. And then he threw the piece of gold into the fire and it emerged in one piece in its completed form. So that was the menorah that made its way from Har Sinai, where the Mishkan was created, all the way through the desert for 40 years until it went with Yehoshua into Eretz Yisrael. And eventually we know that David HaMelech acquired the Mokkaim Hamikdosh from the Jebusites, from the Yevusim, and Shlomo HaMelech, his son, created the Beis HaMikdosh and he put the menorah, actually you're going to see, not one menorah, but several menorahs in the Heichal, in the Temple. Vayas Shlomo es kol ha-kelem ha-shebeis Hashem es mizbach ha-zov es ha-shulchan ha-she'olov lechem ha-ponim zohov. And Shlomo HaMelech, I guess, remade, he refashioned all the vessels that were in the house of Hashem 
the altar of gold, the table, on which the lechem upon him, the bread, the showbread, was put. And here's the crucial posuk. I've highlighted it in the source sheet. There wasn't just one menorah. What Shlomo HaMelech did, and we have no indication here if he also threw the gold into the fire and it emerged whole, or whether it was fashioned by artisans, but he made ten menorahs, five which were on the right and five which were on the left. And we know that those were the menorahs that were used in the Beis HaMikdosh of Shlomo HaMelech. And eventually, sadly, hundreds of years later, Nebuchadnezzar, together with his army, Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, his Babylonian army came and ransacked Yerushalayim. And they found all of the things, all of these incredible vessels that had been created by Shlomo HaMelech. The only one they didn't get was the Oroin Habris, which was somehow hidden. I've written about that as well. Um, and you can look up that article, what happened to the Ark of the Covenant. But in the meantime, let's see what it says here about Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Bovel, came to the city and his servants were besieging it. And Yoachin, the king of Judah, came out to the king of Bovel, he and his mother, and his servants and his officers, his warriors. And the king of Bovel took him, and it was the eighth year of his reign. And he removed from there all the treasures of the house of God, and the treasures of the king's palace. And he stripped it of all the golden decorations that King Solomon, Shlomo HaMelech, had made for the Beis HaMikdosh as Hashem had instructed him. And he exiled all of Jerusalem and all of the officers and all of the mighty warriors, 10,000 exiles and all the craftsmen and the sentries who had uh, taken care of the security at the gates of the Beis HaMikdosh. No one remained except for the poorest of the people of the land. There was certainly no wealth there. The menorah had been removed. What happened to the menorah? Well, for those of you who, are, uh, who remember Purim, we know that the clay HaMikdosh, the clay Beis HaMikdosh, were used during the party of Achashverosh. He was, of course, the next mighty monarch uh, in that era, he was the head of the Persian Empire and he used the Klea Mikdosh at the time that um, the Purim story was occurring in his party to celebrate um, the, uh, his reign over 127 provinces of the Persian Empire. But uh, we do know, or we must assume, that all of these Kalim were somehow returned to the Beis Mikdosh for use in the second Beis Mikdosh. That's the assumption. We don't know that actually for sure. But let's say that that was the case or that some replacement was put together and that there was a menorah because there must have been a menorah for the first years after the return of the Babylonian exiles, the time of Ezra and Nehemiah when they created the Beis Amikdosh, they brought the menorah back and they put it inside the Heichol. But then uh, there was a terrible story and the story is the one which we are commemorating around Hanukkah and that the Greeks took over the Mokim HaMikdosh, the Beis HaMikdosh, 
assisted by their, at that time, their Jewish, uh, their Jewish acolytes, the Hellenizers, Jews and Greeks who together wanted to destroy traditional Judaism. And by the time the Chashmonoim came back, it's a Gemara and Avoy we're going to look at it now, um, that the, the Beis HaMikdosh was completely devastated. So the building still stood, but nothing inside it was the same as it had been when it was under the control of the Kahanim, and they had to recreate it from anew. Now the Gemara is talking about the fact, and we're going to get to this later, uh, that a Darakon, a dragon, is not allowed to be depicted because it has some symbolism of Avodah Zorah and therefore it is inappropriate to depict a dragon in any way, shape or form. So, the Gemara says, Umi Shari, who allowed dragons to be depicted? Voksiv loisasun iti. So here, actually, it's not talking about dragons, it's talking about the sun and the moon. Rabban Gamliel used to have um, somehow depict the um, planets and the sun and the moon and the stars so that when he showed people who came to give testimony about the new moon, he would take them up to his attic where he had created like a, a, a mini planetarium and he would show them pictures that were depicted on the walls so that he could ask them exactly where did you see the moon where did you see the stars and and he seemed to know exactly he'd been trained uh, in the uh, positions of the stars and where the moon would be at a particular time of the month and by asking the questions of the witnesses he was able to determine whether they'd actually seen the moon or not so Rabban Gamliel clearly drew the moon and the sun and the planets and the stars um, on a wall in his attic that being the case that Gemara wants to know, Umishori, how was he allowed to do that? It, you're not allowed to do that because it says, Leisasun iti. What does that mean? You shouldn't make um, gods of silver, gods of gold, which is interpreted to mean, what does it mean? Leisasun kidmus shamoshim, shamshin lefanai. shouldn't make figures of those who are my shamoshim, those who attend to me, like the sun and the moon, and serve before me. Um, and that being the case, how is it possible that Rabban Gamliel made the sun and the moon? So we're only talking about, says Abaye, the type of shamas, the type of attendant that by recreating the image looks exactly like the original. So if it appears completely like the original and it could be an object of worship, that is something which is forbidden. That's what the Gemara and Avodah Zorah says. Obviously, you can't recreate the moon or the sun. Nobody's going to look at the picture of a wall in Rabban Gamliel's attic and imagine that they were looking at the sun. And therefore, by creating that image, you weren't creating an Avodah Zorah. Rabban Gamliel obviously didn't create an Avodah Zorah and it was permitted for him to do so and to show them to the witnesses when he wanted to determine if they were telling the truth. So, continues the Gemara. Kedatania, Loyasa Odom base Tavnis Heicho, Achsedra Tavnis Ulam, Chotzer Tavnis Ezra, Azora, Shulchan Tavnis Shulchan, Menorah Tavnis Menorah. You're not allowed, this is a you're not allowed to construct a house that looks exactly like the base Hamigdosh. You're not allowed to construct an entranceway which looks exactly like the entranceway of the Heichal. You're not allowed to create a courtyard which looks exactly like the Azorah. You're not allowed to make a shulchan, a table, 
that we had inside the Heichal, which was for the showbread, which looks exactly the same as that table. You're not allowed to make any of the things which look exactly like the Vesemikdosh. And here we have the key piece, menorah, tavnis menorah. You're not allowed to make a menorah that looks exactly like the menorah of the Beis Hamikdosh. Avol, who oise shall hey, shall vob, shall ches, shall zayin, lo yasa filu shall sha'ar mine matchois. So you can make of five branches or six branches or eight branches, but of seven you can't because, and you can't even do that in a another metal, never mind gold. Of course you can't do it in gold, but you can't even do it in, in iron or in any other metal that may be in existence at your time, you can't make a menorah which is an exact replica in shape and size of the menorah that was in the Beis HaMikdosh. Rabbi Yoisi Bar Yehuda Omer, now we come to the key text re- with regard to the Chashma Noim in the Beis HaMikdosh. Rabbi Yoisi Bar Yehuda says as follows, by the way he's a controversial character, he always tended to have a controversial opinion, and there's, there's no exception to this here in this Gemara and Avodah Zorah. You're not allowed to make a menorah in the exact shape of the menorah of the Beis HaMikdosh, even if it's made out of wood. Because we know that there was such a menorah at the time of the Chashmanoim. The Chashmanoim came back to the Beis HaMikdosh, and do you know what they did? They made a menorah in the exact shape of a menorah, and the way they did it was out of wood because they didn't have, I don't know how they would have done that so quickly, but they managed to make a menorah out of wood according to at least this version of the Gemara, or perhaps they just made a menorah which had seven branches uh, and according to the weakest interpretation of what that may mean, so it was uh, the most basic looking menorah, but it was made out of wood and it had uh, a central branch and three coming out of each side, and that's what they made in order to light the menorah in the base of Mikdush, because there wasn't a menorah, it had been stolen. Whatever menorah existed before the time of the Chashmanoim, at the time of Antiochus, and whoever the Greeks were would come into the into the temple, into the Heichal, they had stolen that menorah, so they had to recreate the menorah, and the menorah that they made, says Rabbi Yosef Barahuda, was out of wood. Omru Loi! Oh, they rejected that. Whoever the Omru is doesn't tell us who they are, but the they said, Rabbi Yosef Barahuda, you don't know what you're talking about, Mishamrai, that's, that's your proof, that's what you're suggesting. Shepudin shall bazel hoyu v'choyfin Bevats. So he says that the the um, at the time of the Hashmanoim, the menorah was made from spits, which was like shafts of iron, and they were covered with tin. That's the original menorah of the Hashmanoim. That was the one on which the miracle occurred of the oil that lasted for eight days instead of lasting for one. And later on, what happened to them? Heshiru, they became richer. Asom shall kesef, and at that stage they made a menorah out of silver. Chazru veheshiru, and then they became even wealthier. Finally, they had enough money. Asom shall zahov, and they made a menorah out of gold. So we can see that the time of the Chashmonaim, the original menorah of the Mishkan, they don't have it. Even if we assume that Shlomo Hamelech's menorahs were returned at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah when they recreated the base of Mikdash, the second base of Mikdash was built. By the time the Greeks got there, they were stolen, or it was stolen, and there was nothing left. And that being the case, the Chashmonoim had to refashion the menorah, first out of wood, later on they fashioned it out of um, uh, um, uh, silver, and later on they got it 
in gold. So whatever it was that the Romans discovered when they ransacked Jerusalem was not the original menorah of the Mishkan. It wasn't Shlomo Melech's menorah. It was a menorah that had been created after the time of the Hanukkah story and it was a menorah that was made of gold much, much later than the original menorah was fashioned and was created, obviously, according to the instructions that we read earlier from Parsha Shmois. So, if we look Source 5, to Gemara and Gittin. What did Titus do with the menorah of the Chashmanoim? Me'asa. What did he do? Hevi kalkelim shibamikdash. He brought all the kalim of the Beis HaMikdash. Vayishivam b'svina lelech lishtabeach b'iroi. And he went to, uh, took them in a boat, in a ship that tra- traveled, that sailed to Rome in order that he should get great praise for the fact that he had been the one who had uh, managed to ransack the temple of these troublesome Jews in Jerusalem. And by showing this menorah, which was apparently, according to one of the articles I read, was very well known in the ancient world as one of the great artifacts of an ancient religion, of this religion of Judaism, and he brought it to Rome as a demonstration of his victory. So we know that the Arch of Titus is, I mean, the Gemara admits that the menorah was brought to Rome. So it's not, it's not something that was created randomly. The fact that a menorah with seven branches is depicted on the Arch of Titus is not a random event. So the question is, why, if that is the menorah that um, Titus brought, is it, firstly, in the wrong shape, and secondly, with a base that doesn't seem to make much sense from the information that we have as to how the base should have looked? So the Gemara Menachos, and this is a Gemara is in Chofches uh, Amud Base. The Gemara says, "Oma Shmuel Mishmei the Saba." Shmuel said, "Goivha Shalmanoira Shmoin Asat Tfachim." How high was the Menorah? It was eighteen Tfachim high. Haregolim vaperach Gimel Tfachim. So the regolim, the the feet of the the on which the Menorah stood, was three Tfachim high. So we know regolim, you see that? Regolim is not a flat base. Regolim is feet. We know it, it must be at least two. It can't be two. So, because regolim is in the plural. So the minimum amount of legs, number of legs that you can have at the bottom of anything that needs to stand steady is three. In fact, three is better than four because four you can have one leg which is slightly higher and therefore it could rock. Three is the most steady because you have one and then second one and the third one, it's always steady. A milking stool is always with three legs because it is the most steady um, amount of legs that you can have underneath something to make sure that it doesn't rock. The Rashi on Shmois, Perek uh, says as follows, Yerecha, talking about the base, who are regal shall matter ha'osikam in teva, ushloisha regolim yoitzin himena ulamata. So the base at the bottom of the menorah, there was some kind of base, at the bottom of which were three legs to make sure that it stood steady. That's what Rashi says on uh, the Posuk in the Torah that discusses the creation of the menorah. The Rambam in Hilchus Beis Abachira, Peri Gimel, Haloch Aleph, Haloch Beis, talks about the legs of the menorah. HaMenorah Mufureshes Tzuroso, we know exactly how the menorah looked because it's described in the Torah, says the Rambam. 
there were three legs on the menorah. Oh, we have a bit of a problem. I, just, I, want, I want to remind you what it looks like here. Uh, let's get the correct picture. So this is a depiction of the menorah on the uh, on on the Arch of Titus. And as you can see, there's no legs. It's a base. Um, it looks like two uh, hexagonal uh, pieces at the base at the bottom of the menorah. That certainly doesn't look like three legs. So clearly, that cannot be in the way that is being described by Rashi or the Rambam, uh, and certainly not the way that uh, we're led to believe from the Gemara Menachas. The Yalkut actually disagrees. The Yalkut is a Medrash. Says the Yalkut, how did Betzalel uh, construct the menorah? So he says actually there was a flat base and he doesn't talk about legs. So the Rambam disagrees with this Medrash. Okay, it's not the only source. We have the other Chazal, Gemara Menachas, but whatever the case may be, um, that, yeah, the, it's, it would appear at least there is an alternative opinion as to what the base of the menorah looked like. Um, the Rashbam on Shmois, also in the same posseg that we mentioned earlier from Rashi, So he seems to agree with the Yalkut and disagree with his grandfather Rashi as to what the menorah um, looked like. Uh, he says that there was a flat base. Now, the mission of Zora, we mentioned it earlier, we alluded to it, was said that you're not allowed to depict dragons at all because dragons are a form of Avoidah Zora. Interesting uh, means of disposal. Anyone who creates an image of the sun or the moon or of dragons, should throw them into Yam HaMelech. Very curious because Yam HaMelech, of course, everything floats. But whatever the case may be, that's what the Gemara says. Ramon Shimon Megamliel Oimer, Shimon Gamliel says, She'al ha-mechubodin asurim she'al ha-mavuzim mutorim. So he gives a, a slight leniency. But whatever the case may be, the fact is, that you, you, we know that what's on the base of the menorah on the Arch of Titus could not have been something that would have been permitted inside the Heichal, inside the temple sanctuary um, at the time that this temple was standing. So there's some discrepancy between the appearance of the menorah on the Arch of Titus and the way that the menorah must have looked when it was in the sanctuary. Avoida Zora, Gemara Avoida Zora, Daf, Mem, Gimel, Omadalaf. What does a dragon look like? Ton Rabbonon. Ezo Turas How do we meant to know what a dragon looks like? Says Rab Shimon ben Eloza, Kol sheyeshla tzitzin bein parakov. Anything, it's a figure that has scales, I don't know what exactly, scales, scaly skin, between its joints. And Mechabi Rab Asi, Rab Asi, motioned with his hands when listening to this or perhaps when describing this as explained by Rishima Malazar, Bain Pirikate Savar, he said actually scales that overlap on the neck, those um, that would depict a dragon. Rav Choma, Berebi Chanina, Halacha Kerbshim Ben Lazar, and Rav Choma Chanina says that I don't know about the neck, but I know that if there are scales between the joints, uh, that would be a sufficient um, indication that what you are depicting is a dragon, and that is something that is forbidden. You're not allowed to depict a dragon because of it, it association. It has an association with Avodah Zorah, with pagan worship. 
Okay, so we've, we've spoken about the menorah at the time of the Mishkan, Shlema HaMelech, um, the Nebuchadnezzar taking it to Bovel. They came back. There was a time when there was no menorah. Then there was one which was recreated by the Hashmonoim, by the Hasmoneans. And eventually it was taken, ransacked when the temple was destroyed and brought to Rome. So we've heard all of that. We've heard that it's absolutely forbidden to depict a dragon on a, on a uh, on any kind of artifact that has to do with uh, with faith in Hashem but I mean you shouldn't have it at all but certainly not something that you could put inside the Beis Amikdosh in which case we have a little bit of a puzzle as to why the Arch of Titus depicts a menorah where the base uh, has uh, um, uh, on it engraved the uh, depictions of dragons okay now we're going to get to the diagonal branches discussion so this is a Rashi in Shmois this is in Perik Chofhei, Pasuk Lamed Beis. Yoytzi mitzideho lekan u lekan ba'aleksoin. He's very clear. He says that the branches of the menorah, he doesn't give his makor, there's no source here for this information. He says that it comes out diagonally, like a triangle. There is uh, branches coming out of the central branch of the menorah, the center. Nimshochim v'olim ad keneged goivaha shel menorah. So the branches go all the way up until they reach the actual height of the candelabra that is in the middle. So there's three branches from each side. The bottom one is obviously the longest. The middle one is um, slightly shorter. And the third one on each side is shorter than that. And so that you have them all in equal length reaching the exact height of the menorah. So that the top of each of the branches is equal, as we see on our menorahs that we use on Hanukkah. They have to be equal in height to the central branch of the menorah. Because it's from the central one that the six branches, three on each side, emerge to form this candelabra. Rabbi Avraham ben Arambam, um, who we referred to earlier, um, he actually drew these diagonal branches, That's the key word. He says that the branches emerged from the central branch of the menorah, and they were yosher, they were straight. As my father drew them when he depicted them in an image, when he wrote his Hilchas Beis Abachira, that's the way they were in the menorah of the Beis Hamikdash. And not in a curved fashion, as there have been others who have depicted the menorah. That's incorrect. The menorah was straight branches. Ah, oh, there you go. So Avram Ibn Arambam, Ben Arambam is absolutely clear, unequivocal. He goes according to the to the image which I showed you earlier. Um, which is the menorah, which uh, has straight branches emerging out of the middle. Okay. The Masih Choyshev, it's a sefer by Rabbi Rafael Emanuel Riki, and uh, he was obviously a Sephardi uh, rabbinic scholar. He lived from 1688 to 1743, and he actually completely disagrees with the son of the Rambam, uh, go and explain that. But he writes very clearly, Okay, so 
And he says it doesn't go out straight. It goes out in a curved fashion from the central part of the menorah until it reaches the height of the menorah, the central candelabra. The eagle, Teva Zula Niskarumemra, Midibri Rashi Dixiv, the Kosa of Yoitim Balexoin, Nira Deloy, Hoyubi Eagle. He says, I accept the fact that Rashi says something different, and he says it goes out um, Balexoin. And therefore, that they weren't curved. He says, curiously enough, he says, but the Rambam doesn't mention the fact that they were Alexoin. He doesn't talk about this straight or diagonal, um, uh, the triangular shape of the menorah. He says nothing. He doesn't uh, quote Rashi or suggest anything like Rashi has said. He just says that they continue and they go up. Well, that could be curved. It doesn't have to be straight. The Kosav Baal Chochmasa Mishkon Nira Mizesh And he says from this we can learn this is another source that he quotes that it must have gone up in a curvature and not um, in a straight line as is suggested uh, by Rabavram Ben Arambam and of course which is the minhag, or at least the accepted practice, among Chabad Hasidim. Bahachim istabra, he says, says Reb, Rafael Emanuel Riki, this makes the most sense. The Bahachi heim doimim le galgale harakia, because this, which, this um, is a depiction of something which is, uh, which is similar to the curvature of the sky. Shekenegdom heim hashiva nerois. And it's, against, it's about the seven rakiois, that the seven branches of the menorah are, uh, are correlated and therefore it would make most sense for them to be curved and not for them to be straight. There's no such thing as a straight line in nature. Nature has curved lines and if you look at the horizon it in fact is curved and here in a spiritual sense we're talking about the Shiva Rikyos, we're talking about something which is curved. Uh, I'm not going to go into that but uh, essentially what he's saying is it would make no sense from the perspective in the way that the menorah should look, that the branches should be straight and not curved. Rav Yosef Kapach, who was a literalist, although he was very much despised by the um, Haredim of Jerusalem, of the old Yishuv, Rabbi, uh, Yosef Kapach was a Temoni, he was a Yemenite scholar, particularly of the Rambam. You know that the Yemenites revere the Rambam and they paskin halacha like the Rambam. And he was a scholar of the Rambam who took the Rambam very, very literally. And he completely dismissed this idea that the menorah ha- uh, was curved. And he, he discusses it. He says there's one thing which is absolutely, it's unanimous in terms of all the manuscripts that exist of the ancient, of the ancient manuscripts of the Rambam before it was published, uh, and, they, and they show that anyone who drew this menorah in Hilchus Beis of Achira always drew it with the central branch and the branches emanating out of it, all of them straight. The Ein Bahem Shum Kashtios Klal, there's absolutely no curvature in any of the branches that are drawn in these ancient manuscripts as an illustration of what the menorah to, appeared, appeared like. Beloi Kefiat Sir Hanofut uh, and it's not like the um, image that appears, the engraving that appears on the Arch of Titus. And we know for certain it's already been proved 
he doesn't say from where, he says it's been proven that this is Mazuyev, it's fake news, this is absolutely unacceptable, and it's not to be taken seriously. Because we already saw in the Brysa, we learned it earlier in Menachos, that there were feet um, that came out of the bottom of the menorah. We know that Tarambam says that here in this particular place where he's commenting on and also um, elsewhere. Uh, so if that's the case, the Rambam Paskins, that the menorah had to have had legs and the depiction on the Arch of Titus has no legs. Clearly, the Arch of Titus got it wrong, in which case it's fake, in which case it can't be taken seriously. What we can take seriously are the uh, illustrations of the ancient manuscripts of the Rambam. He says, not only is this to be uh, quibbled with, it's not. this is not the only problem with the menorah as it is depicted in the Arch of Titus. There's many things wrong with that menorah. But we don't need to discuss them here. He's dismissed the Arch of Titus as a proof of anything. So he is absolutely and doggedly pro the manuscripts of the Rambam, Rabbi Avram ben Rambam, he dismisses, um, he dismisses uh, the earlier explanation that uh, the Rambam's uh, illustration is not to be taken seriously and it has to be like the Sheva Rekiyos, that he's not interested in the Masa Choshev's um, um, opinion. As far as he's concerned, the Rambam has to be taken literally and what the Rambam says is what the Rambam means, and as it's illustrated, is the way it should be, and that's the way it was in the Beis Hamikdash when any new menorah was created. That's the way it would look. Now we have Rabbi Nachman Mendel Shnis and the Rebbe Rebbe in Likutei Sichus. It says in Yiddish, the Arch of Titus is wrong. As far as he's concerned, he is uh, obviously agreeing here with Rabbi Yosef Kapach. Kumt ois as does Metzayer sein die Kanehamenöre wie Chatzoi Keshes. He says it's, it would appear from this that those who illustrate the menorah, the branches of the menorah, as a rainbow, as a semicircular shape, wie sie seine Metzuya aufschar Titus, as they appear to be on the Arch of Titus, darf er reisrufen a Gewalt geschrei. He said we've got to dismiss this as loudly and as clearly as possible. He said, additionally, and this is very important, that this is against what the Rashi said, which we quoted already, and what the Rambam says, although we see that there's a bit of a problem with the Rambam, because the Rambam doesn't say it explicitly, it's in the illustration, but nevertheless, he says, the Rashi and the Rambam are clear that the branches of the menorah are straight. It gives, it somehow, it gives a, uh, it validates, and it's chash v'sholem, rachmona litzlon, it validates the Im- image, the illustration, as it appears on the Arch of Titus. Was is gemach givoren to metzayer zayn yidin und ze nidrig machen. Anybody who allows a menorah to be depicted with curved branches is not only going against Rashi and the Rambam, but you know what they're doing? They are giving um, support to an imagery that was created deliberately to uh, cause pain and suffering to the Jewish people. That's what the Victory Arch of Titus is all about. It's only about causing suffering. Um, 
as sein Tafkid ist zu sein Urgoim. What is the purpose of a menorah? What is the whole purpose of a menorah? What it's meant to convey, what it's meant to deliver in terms of its message is that we have to be a light unto the nations. We have to be, as the Jewish people, through this menorah symbol, we have to be a light to the Gentile nations. That is the purpose of the menorah. That's what it says in Yeshaya Perik Membeis Pasuk Vav. It is evidence that the, um, that the heavenly presence resides among the Jewish people. And he says, if you use the image of the menorah, and here he's not just speaking about the menorah that we use on Hanukkah, but the menorah that has become the symbol of the state of Israel. He says, if we use this as the symbol of the Jewish people, we're doing the exact opposite of being an Ola Goim. We're demonstrating that we are a fallen people. We are people who have been devastated, that we are people who had a temple that was ransacked by Rome, that we were beaten by Rome, who were victorious against us. How can we use this as a symbol of Ola Goyim? How is it possible, says the Lubavitcher Rebbe, for us to use the symbol of the Arch of Titus, the menorah as it's depicted there, as the expression of who we are as a Jewish people? So it's very clear that the Lubavitcher Rebbe was opposed. And by the way, it's not the only place he writes about it. Elsewhere he writes about it as well. And he says, and This is a horror. This is a note on this uh, piece in Likute Sichus. He says it's important to say, Even though an oris that we use on Hanukkah, He says, for this reason alone, it's important that we have a menorah Hanukkah, which doesn't use curved um, uh, branches, but rather uses the branches of a menorah in a straight line, in a diagonal line coming out of the central column. Now, this, of course, is all based on an assumption that the menorah that we see on the Arch of Titus is the only depiction of a menorah uh, that has curved branches. It's not the case at all. Uh, I have here a number of articles. I, I'm going to reproduce them, by the way. Um, you can you can find the PDFs. Um, you can find the PDFs in uh, on the article on the share online. Uh, they will be attached there. There are depictions of menorahs where there's straight lines, but there's many many depictions of menorahs. I think I have the article here underneath. Ah, here. So there's a a, a very very important article that I'm going to quote in a moment, that was written by um, Rabbi Yitzchak Isaac Halevi Herzog, the grandfather of the current president of Israel and the first chief rabbi of Israel. Of course, he took over in 1936 after the death of, uh, of Rabbi Cook, of Rav Cook, who died in 1935. And a year later, um, Rav Herzog came, he arrived, he had been the chief rabbi of Ireland. He was a great scholar, uh, a tremendous, uh, um, unbelievable Talmud Chochum who wrote on many different areas of halacha and, uh, and all, all aspects of Judaism, in fact. And he left behind writings on every topic imaginable. And one of the things he wrote about was, was the fact, uh, this is the article, I'm going to read, read some of it later, uh, and you can read the whole article online, I've reproduced it. 
But um, he wrote an article on the fact that the state of Israel was using the image as depicted on the Arch of Titus as the image of the state of Israel, as the official image of the state of Israel. And he shows in the article, um, he says, yes, uh, there are depictions of the menorah different. You can see here, there's depictions of the menorah where the branches are straight. But he says in particular, and we'll read that later, um, he says in particular on the many mosaics that have been found in ancient uh, um, synagogues that existed long before um, the time of uh, the Gomorrah and even in the time of the Beis Amikdosh itself, uh, hundreds of years before the destruction of the Beis Amikdosh, menorahs were depicted with curved, um, with curved branches. So it's not just the Arch of Titus. Clearly, the menorah was something which existed. I mean, why would they depict a menorah that wasn't in the Beis Amikdosh on a mosaic, a mosaic which is in a shul? They wanted to depict something which was with, which would convey the Beis Hamikdash, so they would convey it uh, in a, in an accurate fashion. So if they convey it with curved branches, his argument is that clearly um, that is the way the menorah must have looked. But we still haven't quite resolved the problem of why the base of the menorah is uh, uh, doesn't have legs and why it depicts the Darkonim, the dragons uh, that we have seen, uh, we are forbidden by the Gemara because uh, it's uh, a depiction of an Avoid Zara. So the question really is, are we allowed to use archaeological evidence or any kind of historical evidence that is not based on a Chazal or on a Posuk in Tanakh? Can we use that as evidence of something that existed as fact? Is that something that we are permitted to do? Is evidence valid against a rabbinic opinion. So that's a very important, uh, a very important halacha to look into. And here we have a Gemara in Shabbos. It's uh, uh, Shabbos stuff, Samach Gimel Amadalef. Vatanya Tzitz Kemin Tashel Zohov, describing the Tzitz, V'roich of Shteyetz Bois, its thickness is two fingers, it's two fingers um, in depth. Umakov Ma'izan La'izan, it was tied from one ear to the other ear, it was the tit that the Kohen Godel wore, and it had something on it. The Kosovo Lov Vishteshitin, and two lines there were on it. Yud Hey, the name of Hashem, Lamalo above. The Kodesh Lamad, Kodesh Lashem. So the Kodesh was actually underneath. You read it from bottom to top. Kodesh La, and the name of Hashem on top according to this Gemara. For Omar Rabbi Eliezer Rabbi had been to visit Rome. I once went to Rome and I saw the tits so after the destruction of the Beis Amikdosh, and they had there actually a victory temple which was established by Titus in which they displayed all the artifacts that had been confiscated from the Beis Amikdosh, and it became a, like a museum of Jews who had been vanquished. And that being the case, Rabbi Yezabar Rabbi went to that museum, that temple of victory, and he went and he saw the tzitz, the cause of Kodesh Rashem Bashito Achas, and he says, actually, I disagree with you. There's evidence that the tzitz was written differently than you're suggesting. The Kodesh Lashem was all written on one line, wasn't written on two lines. So that's what the Gemara says in Shabbos Daf Samach Gimel Omadalaf. Says the Rambam. The Rambam here in Hilchus Klei Amikdosh Perik Tes Halocha Aleph. He says as follows: Keitzad Masat Tzitz. How was the Tzitz written? How was this band of gold that was across the forehead of the Kohen Gadol? How was it written? Koisav Alav Shnei Shitin Kodesh Lashem. 
you write two lines, Kodesh milamato, Lashem milamalo. Slightly differently than the Gemara, but he says the Kodesh is at the bottom. You read it bottom upwards, the top line you read second. The Lashem, Hashem always has to go on top. But if it's all written on one line, it would be considered okay. And there were occasions when the tits, obviously the tits would wear out. It was very thin gold. And then they would remake them. And there were times, he says, that they were written on one line and not on two. Kesef Mishnah, written by Rabbi Yosef Karo, is the author of the Shulchan Aruch, the Beis Yosef. He says, this is proof that we accept evidence even if it contradicts a b'raisa. Witness evidence, the testimony of somebody who's seen something is accepted even if it contradicts a b'raisa. But Perik Ba'ma'isha, he discusses this whole story. And what he concludes from this story is not that Rabbi Yezabar Yosi was correct. In other words, that the tzitz was correctly written. But he says you cannot dismiss the fact that there was a tzitz that was written on one line. The Rambam says that it is acceptable. Why? Because Rabbi Yezabar Yosi saw it. So it could be that the Klea Mikdosh were not made entirely, it's a Bedievet situation. It's not Lechatchila, and nevertheless it's accepted. Why would the Rambam say that? Because Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yossi, had seen the tzitz in Rome. That tzitz was not fake news. That tzitz was an original that had been taken from the Beis Mikdosh in Yerushalayim. And Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yossi, saw it. As a result of which, he reported, no, it can be done on one line. And the Rambam accepts that as psak. So we see that archaeological evidence or evidence of testimony that somebody has seen something is acceptable in halacha. Um, I want to now go to what I mentioned earlier, and with this we'll conclude the share, that Rabbi Yitzhak Isaac Halevi Herzog, the Rav Roshi of Eretz Yisrael, wants to take the Arch of Titus and actually give a suggestion as to why, first of all, the curved part of the Nora is correct, and second of all, the base is proof of nothing. Listen carefully. We're talking about the menorah of the base Amikdosh, the light of Hashem. It's absolutely unacceptable to suggest that a dragon can be engraved on any part of the menorah that was put in the sanctuary in the Heichal of the Beis HaMikdash. That is out of the question. In other words, that part of the Arch of Titus must be wrong in terms of it depicting what was in the Beis HaMikdash. Now we have a puzzle. The bottom half of the menorah doesn't fit with the top half of the menorah. In which case, the Lubavitcher Rebbe's argument, which is the menorahs on the Arch of Titus, is not a depiction of the actual menorah, but some kind of fabricated recreation uh, that is there to cause anguish and upset to Jews who see it. It holds water. But Rabbi Herzog has another suggestion. It would appear to me, my opinion is, that when the soldiers of Rome brought the menorah from Jerusalem, Biras, Italia, to the Roman, um, to the Italian capital, to Rome, 
something happened on the way, and you know what? The base of the menorah broke off, and it fell into the sea. It's a theory. He says the menorah must have, maybe they were in rough seas, and somehow it smashed, and that part of the menorah fell overboard, but the other part they managed to keep a hold of. In order to, to keep it, and to show it and to display it on the victory, par- victory parade when they got to Rome, the Italian artisans were forced, were compelled, you know what they did? They created a base for the original menorah, the menorah of the base Amikdosh, based on bases that they used for candelabras that they had in their temples. I mean, these were artisans in Rome. They weren't familiar with the way the menorah had looked previously. Obviously, no Jew was going to tell them what it looked like. And it could very well be that no Jew knew exactly what it looked like anyway, because it was hidden in the Heichel of the Beis Amikdosh. So they were given the task of, of recreating a base for the menorah. They had no idea that it had three legs. All they knew is that they had to create a base. Well, this wasn't something they hadn't done before because there were plenty of temples in Rome with candelabras and all of them had bases. So they modeled the base of the menorah that they had to recreate on the bases of candelabras that were in other temples in Rome. So that's his theory. He says, on that basis, it's not good what our country the state of Israel has done in, in the current days. When we finally have benefited from the light of Zion, which is symbolized by the menorah. And now it's symbolized by menorah, which the, uh, the, whole, the whole way it looks, its appearance, the way that it is presented is the uh, is the image of the menorah on the arch of Titus. And we know from what Rabbi Herzog has just said, we know that it must have involved the artisanship of Zorim, of foreigners, of outsiders, of non-Jews. It's not completely in its appearance as it should be in a pure and holy way. As would appear from the way it's uh, presented to us and described by Maimonides and from many other sources that emanate from the scholarship of the Torah. The Loisu Bilvad, not just this. Elo Sheheid Lifne Odom Mumcha Biadius Archaeologia, Shamanoris Amatsuyoris Alakvarim, Bekatakumbois Sheberoimi, Kulon Bonois Sholosh Regolim, Vachain Kolamanoris Hamutsuyoris Bhaspisim. Shall sell shrid bateknesses on him to Israeli. He says, if you go into the catacombs in Rome and you look at the menorahs as they are depicted there, not the one on the Arch of Titus, but the menorah as it's depicted in the catacombs. I am not an expert in Roman catacombs, but apparently, if you go into Roman catacombs, you can see the uh, menorah is depicted, and there it has three legs. Similarly, in the one that I showed you earlier on, uh, the menorah uh, uh, that is on the um, floor of a base knesses of a synagogue and the mosaic 
displays a menorah. It always has a menorah with seven branches and with three legs. That's the way the menorah is depicted. So it's clear that the Arch of Titus is an inappropriate source of information as to the uh, way the menorah looked in its entirety. The top half, that's the menorah. The bottom half, no, that's not the menorah. That was something that was added later and therefore shouldn't be used as a symbol of the state of Israel. Well, I've covered all the sources in as much as I can in the short time that is allotted to me uh, for this video, uh, for this podcast. So uh, if you want to look further into it, I'll have posted everything that you need to know in the articles which will be attached to this, um, to this share on my website. And uh, you are uh, free to contact me and to let me know your thoughts on this topic or in any topic actually that I discuss and describe in my articles and my shurim and my presentations. In the meantime, I wish you a freilich and chanukah. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to being with you again very soon. Thank you.